mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to this special episode of Is It Normal? The Pregnancy Podcast with me, Jessie Ware. This episode is all about premature or preterm babies. I'll be speaking to a friend of mine, Sarah Carr, who gave birth to her son at 29 weeks plus five days. We'll talk all about her experience of giving birth and the experience of her being in the neonatal intensive care unit with her son. But first, I'm joined by Catherine Jameson, or KJ as everyone calls her, a neonatal intensive care consultant working in London. She's here to tell us what to expect if you do go into labour before 37 weeks and explain what special care a baby may need if they are born prematurely. Welcome KJ, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, really nice to be here. So KJ, I have lots of questions because I've never actually had the experience of being in the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit, I've never had a preterm baby. Um, Can you tell me a bit about your role? I work as a doctor in neonatal intensive care together with a fantastic team of nurses and other allied health professionals. And our role really is to help babies who are born early or born at the right time, but with medical problems until they're strong enough and well enough to go home with their parents. So I've worked at a number of different centres, but currently I work at a centre in North London. We're what's described as a level two unit. There's different levels of care depending on how early your baby is born. But I work in a level two, which is basically babies over a kilogram or over 28 weeks if we're talking about prematurity. Would you be able to briefly outline what the difference of care would potentially be between level one, level two, level three? I mean, we refer to premature babies as anyone who's born less than 37 weeks, but it gets slightly more complicated because obviously that's quite a big range of gestation. So we tend to think of them within different categories within that. So babies born less than 28 weeks, we would call extremely preterm Babies between 28 and 32 weeks, we would call very preterm. And then anyone between 32 and 37 weeks would be a moderate or late preterm. And that's important because it can help us predict what kind of problems they would have and therefore also what kind of support they might need. And we have different hospitals where different babies might go, which again is quite complicated. We have lots of different names for them. So special care or neonatal intensive care. But essentially, there are three levels of care. So level one would be caring for the babies who'd been born the closest to term. So generally babies above 32 weeks and they might need support with keeping warm because they haven't got quite as much fat or aren't as well grown as other babies. They might need a little bit of oxygen. They might need help with blood sugar or help with feeding. Mm. 
And then the next level from that is level two neonatal intensive care units. And they need a slightly higher level of medical and nursing support. They're generally babies who are born between 28 and 32 weeks and over a kilogram. And they might need breathing support. They might need short-term intensive care. And they might need feeding support, which is generally given through a drip in their vein. And then the highest level of care we think about is a level three or a tertiary centre. And that's for the babies who need the highest level of support. So often they've been born before 28 weeks and often they're less than a kilogram or very unwell with other problems at birth. So those would go to a level three. So KJ, what are some of the potential problems that could happen for the baby when they are in the neonatal intensive care unit are there some common problems that can happen whilst they're there being cared for again it depends on when the baby is born I mean during the nine months of pregnancy basically babies bodies are developing to allow them to survive and thrive out in the real world so when they're born too soon some parts of those development won't have quite finished so generally one of the biggest problems they face is with their lungs so their lungs often aren't as mature as they could be and they are deficient in something called surfactant that is normally produced a bit later on in the pregnancy so babies born early and particularly babies born under about 30 weeks often need breathing support but sometimes they need to have a breathing tube put down into their windpipe and a machine to do their breathing and sometimes they're able to breathe on their own but because the lungs are more immature it's really helpful to have some pressure to help hold the lungs open I always liken it to a balloon, actually. So if you imagine trying to blow up a balloon at a party, that first bit is really hard to get the balloon to open. And then once you've got the first few breaths in, it's actually much easier. So premature babies are the same. They've got these sticky, immature lungs that stick together. And each breath they take, they're having to inflate those from scratch. So if we can put some pressure in and help hold those open, then they can breathe more easily around it. So sometimes they just need some pressure support. And sometimes they don't need any support at all, or sometimes they need a bit of oxygen. But breathing is one of the big things, particularly for the more premature infants. I think the other things they struggle with is that they're small and they lose heat more easily. So generally under about two kilograms, they need to be in an incubator. And that's just to keep them warm and to allow them to put their energy into growing rather than into keeping themselves warm. Another common thing is that they struggle a bit with feeding and that's for a similar reason. We want them to conserve their energy stores as much as possible to go into their growth. Feeding is actually a bit of a workout for a baby. So you wouldn't like it if I made you go to the gym all the time whilst trying to put on weight. So it's about maximising their nutrition, particularly their calories and their protein to help them grow. And we often do that through a liquid form of food that goes into a drip for the more premature babies while they get used to feeding and, and get established on feeding. And I guess the other thing is we're getting to know them as well. We need to monitor them, but we also need to do tests and scans on them so that we are understanding their needs and adapting our care to exactly around them. A lot of the time you you hear about this, but you won't ever experience it. What can a parent expect? Once they've given birth, what happens for the parent and the baby? The first and most important thing to say is that every baby is different. So even two babies born at the same gestation will be very different. And it's really important to see them as an individual and each parent is different. So I think the journey for each parent will be different. I think there are a few things that are common. I think it's intense. It's not called intensive care for nothing. I think it's scary. And I think it's often not predictable. Mm. Parents will be a huge part of their baby's journey. So for all of them who were born with a preterm infant at whatever gestation, while the baby's in hospital, and whether that's for days or weeks or for longer, then much of their life revolves around the baby and the baby unit. So precisely how long that will go on will depend obviously on the gestational age, how developed they are when they're born and what problems they have. 
I think it's probably quite a shock initially for parents to see it. It's quite an unusual setting and it's not only about their baby, but also you obviously absorb some of the energy about what's going on around with other babies and particularly in the, mm. the level three units. It's noisy. There's lots of alarms. There's lots of strange tubes and machines. So I think it can be quite intimidating when they first get in there. But I think they do get much more familiar with it and they get hopefully with our support to understand how it works and what's going on for their baby. Because I think one of the, the key things for all parents is that they will be part of the care of their baby. They'll be very involved. They become you know, mm. an important part of the team. I think in terms of things as well that you can expect. So any mother who goes in with threatened preterm labor would be assessed obviously to decide whether she's definitely having the baby early or whether she's just got some symptoms that then settle down. So that involves generally a fairly predictable set of things that would happen. So she'd probably have a scan of the baby to check on their well-being. She would have a check of the baby's heart rate to make sure that that was okay. And they would look for things that might be causing the labor to come on early. So it, for example, infection, she might have blood tests done to see what's happening there. So that's all fairly standard. And then a decision has to be made about whether the baby is likely to deliver or whether the baby needs to be delivered for their own safety. So it is important to say that sometimes we deliver babies early because there are other things going on either with the mother or baby that mean that actually it's safer for them to come out into the world now and be supported by us in the neonatal unit. And sometimes they can have things that can help before the baby's delivered. So there are things called antenatal steroids, um, which are injections which are given 12 hours apart, which help the baby's lungs to mature. So one of the biggest problems that premature infants face is that their lungs aren't mature enough and they need help with their breathing. So steroids are, are something that mothers can receive antenatally that can really help to improve that. So they might be offered that if there was a concern that they were mm. going to go into labour. The other thing I think that I try and prepare parents for with premature delivery is that, you know, every parent has an idea of what mm. they want their birth to be. And sometimes that has to change a little bit with a premature infant because there are more people who need to be around. So people like myself and my juniors and my nursing colleagues would be in the delivery room as well. Are there any kind of obvious symptoms of a premature birth or is it very much like how you would go into labour when you're 38, 42, 40 weeks pregnant it is basically the same as normal labor so you would get similar symptoms so abdominal pain or tightenings contractions feeling pressure backache vaginal spotting bleeding sometimes a change in discharge and you can sometimes have your waters go early although it is important to say that sometimes even if the waters go early that doesn't always progress onto labor and sometimes a decision is made to deliver a baby because of other problems so something like preeclampsia or if the baby isn't growing. And it's always a balance of deciding when to take the baby out versus trying to keep them in for as long as possible. But sometimes they are delivered early. So I think if there's any doubt, it's really important to get checked out. And then the healthcare team can help advise whether you're actually in labour or mm. if you are in labour, how far along you are and then getting mm. the right support or looking at ways to delay the birth. So I think the statistic at the moment is about two in 10 cases of suspected premature labour actually go on to deliver. The rest of them, the symptoms turn out to be something else or contractions just stop of their own accord and the baby stays in a bit longer and comes out either slightly later or hopefully at full term. Are there any likely causes of premature birth or is it out of the mother's hands? It's a really good question and unfortunately something that we still don't know a lot about and it's a question that I get asked a lot by mothers but the honest truth is that most of the time we just don't know why it's happened. We still have a lot to learn about premature birth 
there are certain risk factors that might make you more likely to have a premature birth and those can be things that affect both the mother and the baby so things like infection or placental problems if you've had a previous premature delivery then you are slightly more likely to go on and have a subsequent one genetic problems in the baby for example can sometimes cause a premature delivery and women who are having multiple pregnancies, so twins, triplets or more, also have a higher chance of giving birth prematurely. But most of the time, honestly, we can't tell why a mother has gone into premature labour. And it is an ongoing area of research. And there are lots of tools and apps and various different bits of technology to try and help predict, therefore prevent it happening. But at the moment, we often don't know. And I think that's something really difficult for mothers to understand. I think there's a lot of guilt associated with premature labour and I try and as far as possible to tell all the parents that I see that it isn't something they have done or didn't do or did wrong. It is just one of those things, unfortunately. When you are speaking to parents of premature babies, what are the kind of most common things that they ask? The most common question I get asked is why has this happened and mm. often followed up by have I done something wrong? The second probably most common question is will they be okay? Yeah, right. Which is a hard question to answer. Depends on lots of different factors, including their gestation, but also how unwell they are when they're born. And it's a conversation that we have continuously with the parents and one that we can't always say for definite when the baby leaves the hospital. Medical advances certainly mean that we're getting better at treating preterm babies and the outcome generally is much better than most people think mm. it is. Generally, the earlier the birth, the higher the risk of problems. But as I've said, these are only statistics. They don't predict how an individual child will do. And some extremely premature babies do very well and develop into completely healthy children. Mm. I think the important thing is that they will continue to be monitored even once they've gone home to allow for any early detection if there are problems and allow us to support both the baby and the parents in the best way should those arise. The level of care is obviously so focused on the baby but the parents are very involved and they're having to learn how to be their mother or father. You know I can imagine that it's a very intense and scary time. Is there kind of a level of pastoral care and guidance within the NICU for the parents? Yeah I mean I think we all want the parents to be very much part of the team so they're there all the time and and they get to know their baby and they remember every little detail about their baby so they're a really really important part of the baby's care. Mm. We want as many of the normal things, I'm using the word normal, mm. in inverted commas, um, to happen as possible. So skin to skin, breastfeeding, whatever the parents want to do, we really want to help involve them mm. with. There is a lot of support within the neonatal unit. The nurses are phenomenal. I mean, I don't think you'll come across better nurses. They're just amazing they're either with yeah. one or two babies every day so they really get to know them and the parents but parents will get to help with cares with their baby they get to help with feeds with their baby they get to have cuddles they get to do lots of the things that normal parents would do there is a lot of psychological support as well so most units if not every unit now has a dedicated psychologist who works alongside the medical team because we recognize this is a really stressful difficult period for parents and there are lots of questions and there are often lots of uncertainties and being a new parent is hard anyway, let alone doing it in an unfamiliar environment with lots of unknowns and the added pressure of having a premature baby. Mm. Finally, I mean, this has been so informative. Thank you, KJ. Can I ask, why did you go into neonatal medicine? What, what kind of pulled you into it? I've always wanted to do paediatrics. So I've always wanted to work with kids in some capacity. And I actually did medicine to do paediatrics rather than choosing to do paediatrics within medicine, if that makes sense. I never thought I'd end up doing neonatal intensive care. I thought I'd end up doing you know, some other branch of paediatrics. But it's just an incredible speciality. You get to share such an amazing journey with parents. Probably the most pivotal point in their life is the birth of their child. And then hopefully make a positive difference to it. 
we definitely have the cutest patients in the hospital. They are amazing. And mm. I think they're just so resilient, which I've just found so inspiring. Everyone thinks that neonatal intensive care must be really depressing, but actually the majority of our patients get better and do really well. And I think the team are phenomenal. We're always learning new things. Every day I learn something new. Every day there are new technologies or new ways to help support babies. So we're getting better and better at what we do, which is great. So that was KJ and I hope that's helped a lot of you understand the way the NICU works and just some of the scenarios you may find yourself in if you do have a preterm baby. Now on to a mother's story. This is a mother who I know called Sarah Carr and we live near each other in East London. Sarah had a baby that was premature which she is going to tell you all about in a moment. But the reason I found out about this was that I was going for a checkup at my hospital for my midwife appointment and we bumped into each other. I didn't realise Sarah was pregnant. I didn't realise she'd had a baby. And we kind of had this moment in the stairwell, which I won't ever forget. Here is Sarah Carr to talk to us about the experience as a mother with her firstborn being premature. Sarah, thank you for doing this. The time that I saw you... Do you remember how old your son Wilfred was at that point? I know that he was still in intensive care because I remember seeing you and you gave me one of the hugs in that stairwell at the hospital that I will never forget. Mm. I used to put on this brave face going through the hospital and you go through like two sets of double doors to go into the actual area Mm. and then you have to walk down this corridor and it felt like a bit like the corridor of shame because... You had Scubu, which is special care baby unit. You had two wards in there. And that's when the babies are getting ready to go home. So you sort of go past those two wards and everyone looks quite relaxed and there's lights and it's airy and things. And then you go past room three, which is where you go to like bed in with your baby. And I used to walk past her and think, I just want to be in that room. And then you turn the corner and it gets darker and darker and darker And then you have these three intensive care wards. And I remember sort of, oh, it was so nice to see Jessie, wasn't it? And then you get down this corridor and then the reality hits of where you're actually going. And then you're going to go see this baby that you couldn't see his face. You know, we had like a hat on, boggles if he was under UV light and then breathing apparatus. I mean, I was looking at a baby that I I didn't really (laughs) recognise. How many weeks were you when Wilf was born? 29 weeks and five days. You know, I started having contractions at the beginning of the week and I went to the hospital, I got turned away, went again, got turned away. And then my mucus plug came out on the Wednesday afternoon, evening. So I went back again with an overnight bag and they basically checked me over, confirmed that I was having contractions, but told me to go home and take paracetamol and that I was a first time mum. These things are really normal my mucus plug would grow again. And I went into a turmoil of not listening to my body. I knew something was happening and I should have stayed in the hospital. Mm. You know, first time mums can sort of panic a bit about, oh, do I go in? Do I not go in? You 100% go in and you don't leave until you feel comfortable, I think would be the biggest thing for me. Mm. I went home And then on the Thursday, I had this really weird feeling that I owned nothing for a baby. I had this stupid Moses basket which I can actually see now and it's a toy basket because I used to look at that Moses basket and hate it. I decided to go to John Lewis and do the baby shop 
that everyone talks about doing this thing where you go get all of the bits and pieces that you need and you start nesting. Mm. I didn't even make it to John Lewis. My contractions were so bad that we ran. Well, I didn't run. I had to stay on the side of the road to go get the car. Went straight to hospital. They (laughs) pretty much made a joke about the fact that I was there again, even though one of the midwives had had to scoop me up in the hospital corridor, which you'll know, and take me upstairs. And they were like, right, you need to go sit in that waiting room. We need to wait for someone to see you again. Because this was like my fourth visit in five days. I remember lying on this bed and I was like screaming, saying that I knew that something was happening. And there was a doctor sitting in the corner and I can picture it. It's really weird. And this is what trauma does to you is that you relive things as though you're looking at yourself. I wasn't in my body. I can see the room. It's almost like I'm an aerial shot. And then my waters exploded all over. And the pressure was just insane. I remember this doctor like leapt like two feet off his chair and was a bit like, oh my God, right, this is really serious now. Has she had the steroids? So I was then just turned into this awful pin cushion. I was just having all of these injections and then they raced me through to a ward. So you're in labour. Oh yeah, I was in full labour. And everyone is now understanding the situation you were in as a 29-week pregnant woman. So did you feel like as soon as the waters broke, they kind of took everything slightly more seriously? Yeah, yeah, totally. When the waters broke, it all changed. I got taken away straight away to this other room and he was born 30 minutes later. Wow. And I remember one of the midwives being like, oh my God, this baby is coming right now. And I just, I remember the panic in the room and I remember she grabbed my face and she was like, this is happening. We need to get him out now. You need to focus because this is what we need to do. Mm. And um, he was born and I remember saying, I mean, do I get to hold him? And I've got this vivid memory of them, like, putting him here. On your chest. And then he was gone. But, I mean, it wasn't like a, oh, my God, I've just had a baby. They were like, (laughs) there's your baby. Now we need to take him away. And there are so many things that sort of happened after that. But one of my biggest things is that they left me in that room for three hours, approximately. I had no belongings in the room and I think Wilf obviously was a priority so they took him straight to intensive care my partner went with him and they did him like the tour of the unit what was going to happen what they were sort of fixing onto him and he was sort of part of that and then all of a sudden it'd be like oh, where's Sarah hmm. oh my god she's still in that room and I remember I'd like wrapped myself up on the bed Semi had a bit of a shower but I had no clean clothes so I was like sitting there and I remember Paul coming back in and being like is there anyone here with you I was like no I have no idea what is going on I think by that point I'd already sort of shielded myself Mm. I'd stopped actually processing because I was like sitting with an empty stomach and no baby and thinking this has been the most insane morning of my life I remember then getting wheeled down to the intensive care unit which was the biggest shock of my entire life because if I'm being completely honest I hadn't done any of the classes I hadn't read any of the pregnancy books I didn't really know what an intensive care baby unit was or that premature babies were a real thing and all of a sudden I'm in a room with eight incredibly sick babies mine was one of them and that was it that was the start of a very long 10 week journey 
Have you spoken to any other Prem mums that have had a similar experience, you know, saving the baby, but ignoring the worries and fears of the mother? Mine was definitely unique. I think a lot of my, I say a lot of them, I've got three Prem mum friends. They had sections. C-sections. Yeah. So you know that something is not necessarily right. And I think if you've had a section, you then know that you can't necessarily do the whole holding and all of those things. So I think I had a very different experience that way because he came so naturally and so quickly. Mm. A lot of things that I find, and I know that other Prem mums find, is that you you hold this huge ball of grief because you grieve the last stage of your pregnancy. You mm. grieve all the things that you believe are normal that you'll get to hold your baby you get to take your baby home like all of those big things you sort of you don't have them and it's a real weird thing to get your head around because you don't have that transition into motherhood it's Mm. not a natural becoming a mother you know for my friends that have had some of them quite stressful births but they you know you both get born at the same time the mum and the baby but I think when it's a very premature situation it takes a lot of that away. You don't become the mother that you think you're going to be because you can't feed your baby, you can't change a nappy, you can't care for them. Mm. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So let's talk about that first time that you held your son, Wilfred. How many days old was he? How did it feel for you holding him? You showed me a picture. I was terrified because it was the day that he was born, but it would be late that night. It was 2018 and it was the heat wave. And it was absolutely boiling. And I really remember that. I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm so hot. This just feels really odd. And then you have two nurses that have to unravel the wires, scoop up this tiny little purpley red baby. And then you just have to sit there so still. And I call it kangaroo care or skin to skin. So you just basically sit 
and this baby's put on your chest and then you have to like wrap a cloth so you've got a cloth that comes from one arm round the baby under the other arm and then that's what you do and I remember sitting there thinking I can't move my hands I can't move my arms because I was so terrified of him because one of the nurses had obviously had to stay with me because he wasn't very stable at the time and so I'm thinking this is really weird and I remember and one of the pictures I sent you I, I can see it on my eyes that I it's almost like I've completely shut down at that point there's a blankness in your eyes there's a distant yeah oh see when I look at the pictures myself it's a bit like I don't even recognize me I'm not mm. all there so that was it I'm sitting there terrified holding this little bundle mm. and like we need to put him back now I'm like okay did you want to put him back yeah I did yeah, if I'm being yeah. completely honest, because I mm-hmm. couldn't actually deal with the fact that 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 was my baby. I was a bit like this. No, you talk about masks, tubes. What were all these different things doing for Will? When he was first born, he had to have this thing over his head, which was just like a piece of cloth. But I don't know if it actually had a, a particular meaning. He was then on a piece of breathing equipment called CPAP. It was controlling his breathing for him so it was a stream of oxygen but also helping to keep everything working and that was sort of like a box over his nose with tubes that were coming down he had to have all of the heart rate monitors on his chest maybe two or three wires Mm. stuck onto his chest and then a little thing round his foot which I used to call the disco boot because it was this like red little light on the end of his little tiny foot He was like a beeping little ball. And quite often at Prem, they will have phases where they get really tired so that their heart rate can drop or their breathing. They can have like an apnea, which is where they they stop Mm. breathing. So again, all the monitors will beep, 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 beep. And then you've got this rush of people. And then he'll breathe again. You're like, oh, then the people go. The noises, it was constant. If you think you've got eight babies that are all beep, 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 beep. Mm. We've talked a little bit about feeding through the nose, but... I remember you talking at the time about you trying to express. Mm. I mean, you had a really beautiful relationship with one of the midwives, I think, that was really helped you. But is that normal for mothers to have to go into action mode with trying to breastfeed at 30 weeks? I mean, yeah. is that what you had to do straight away? 100%. I think they gave me 24 hours <laughs> to bed in the fact that I'd had a baby and they're like, you need to get your milk coming through now. Like, he needs your milk immediately. I hadn't really sort of got milk in yet. You basically have to like manually get your boobs going, which they did eventually. But I remember with this tiny little syringe, you'd be like squeezing, catching, squeezing, catching, just constantly. And then you'd like run down to the ward. I've got it. I've got it. They were like, okay, calm down. But actually you'd be nagging from this for me for like 24 hours. I'm giving you this two mil of golden goodness. Um, which he then wouldn't take anyway. But oh. you have to express every two to three hours, 24 hours a day. And so you're dealing with, you know, a premature and an unsettled, quite ill baby on some occasions. And you would have to go sit in this expressing room, hooked up to these machines. And we can relate to this because I had no milk. I had mm. no milk. And I'd see mums coming out of that room with bottles of milk. And I, I hated them. I had no shame in saying that. I literally yeah, was like... So jealous. I'm like, come on, 
come on. And then you'd have to leave your baby. Obviously, every night they would tell you that you needed to go home and rest. But that actually meant that you basically just stayed up all night expressing yourself. And I think if you're getting milk and then your baby's tolerating it, you can maybe produce more. But Will, for whatever reason, it was making him really not well and they feed prems in the most tiny amounts because they their stomach isn't ready to accept even mm. the colostrum that took me like hours and hours to produce he's slaved away <laughs> to get you know his stomach would blow up like a ball maybe he'd had two mil so we'd have to do two mil and then you have to aspirate their stomach to see what's going on in there so before you feed them you have to like drain out of the tube with a syringe see what colour it is, and his was quite often green. You were having to do the syringing from his tummy. I mean, you turn into not only being a mother, but you become a nurse, a carer, in this very alien world that you've not been prepared for at all. The syringing and stuff, I actually found that incredibly difficult. I can imagine. Because I didn't want to see what was going to come out. No. I quite often had to say to the nurse, I'm I'm really sorry, I I know that other mums might be able to do that, but I actually, I can't face seeing this green aspirate and then being told nil by mouth again because every time you're told nil by mouth you know that you're being set back we've talked about this nurse do you want to give her a bit of a shout out because i know that she became a real friend to you and helped you that time that wilf was in the NICU. just after he was born because it was so hot i had this white linen dressing gown and i used to go up and down the halls of homerton hospital like some the woman in white. Some psycho that would peer in and look at all the sort of healthy babies and then go crazily down to where my baby was. And then remember really late one night, I was just really struggling. I remember my legs going and then this woman just swept in and she's like, I'm Kate, just come and sit with me. And I was like, I love you. And she was like, okay, this is fine. She said, look, I'm the breastfeeding specialist let's just talk about the unit, show me where your baby is, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And since that point, it was almost like we were inseparable. If I was there and something went wrong and she wasn't, I would be like, can someone, where's Kate? I I really need to find Kate. She would come and sit with me, even if it was her lunch break, if she was finishing her shift and I'd had a bad day with Wilf, she would come and sit with me. She would sit with me in the expressing room. Mm. She sat with me while I cried she made me laugh so many times. Like, she was just the most amazing woman. And we used to dream of, like, kidnapping Will from running off to Ghana together. And <laughs> she was like, as soon as we can blow this joint, we're out of here. And I was like, okay, let's do that. You know, Will and I had so many admissions after leaving hospital. And I would always message her if she was on shift. She would get cover and would come and sit with me in A&E. And she even would, like, race into the ward because their uniform was slightly different to the A&E. And they'd be like, we've got an intensive care nurse here. And I'd be like, Kate! And she would just come in, explain all the lingo to me and sit. And even if she wasn't working, she was close to the hospital, she would just come and be with me. And still now, we still are constantly on WhatsApp sending pictures. And, yeah, she's... You know, when you were having problems, I was like... You've got to see her. Yeah, I remember when I was having problems with breastfeeding, you were like, give Kate a call. She'll sort you. <laughs> when was a turning point for you in the NICU? He was coming off CPAP and then on to just like oxygen 
And I was there for the changeover, and I remember seeing his little face. I was like, oh my God, it is a little person. It sounds really, but when you can't see their even shape of their face, I was like, oh, there he is. I can see him now. And then when I first put him in a baby grow, because my best friend, she did the emergency John Lewis shot for me, the thing that I dreamt of, she went and was like, can I have the smallest things that you possibly have? And actually they're brilliant because they do have a prem range, which is quite rare. And I remember she brought me all of these baby grows into the hospital and they were all washed and ready. And I'd had them in this bag for weeks. And all of a sudden they were like, he's moving today. It's time. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> You're still like juggling wires and things. But I was like, he's in clothes. Oh my God. Like, look at him. <sighs> yeah. From what I really remember, they were two big things that sort of outshine the really, really bad days. Because, I mean, there were so many of those. I just try not to overly go there really yes maybe the communication wasn't there right at the beginning when you just given birth but there is that real support in helping you come to terms and navigating your way through this really tough time I didn't want to leave I'd spent 10 weeks desperate to get myself and Wilf out of there mm. yet when they tell you that you're going to go into room three which basically means that you have to spend two or three nights looking after your baby on your own you have a support nurse there but basically you're doing everything mm. and I didn't want to go in there and room three was the room that you wanted right at the beginning oh I used to hate on the people walking past that room <laughs> and now I was getting put in there and I was a bit like I'm not ready for this I like what am I going to do in three days time I mean they do ease you into that leaving hospital yes so you're in this kind of new mum life but you have this premature baby how was it being out of the hospital going for a coffee with your baby or seeing other babies how did that beginning phase out of the hospital feel to you I was terrified I didn't do anything his breathing was so bad by this point I was too embarrassed to take him anywhere because he sounded awful it was a real like all the time. So not only did he look small, he sounded not well. Mm. And I remember once being on a train, someone saying, do you think you should go to the doctors with, with your baby? And I was a bit like, hold it together, hold it together. And I was a bit like, no, no, it's fine. And then this whole spiel came out and they scuttled off down the train. If I went to the park, I'd find it really difficult because I'd see the NCT mums hanging out and the babies are all playing with each other. And and I just I found that so, so hard. Maternity leave after having a premature baby is very different to what I'd planned. Mm. Our maternity pay sometimes finishes, mine certainly did, four weeks before I had even left the hospital. Mm. Then when you're discharged, you have a whole other set of things to deal with. For Wilf and I, we had weekly visits from the hospital team at home to do blood tests and a weigh-in, regular hospital appointments. So all of those lovely images that you have of this maternity leave, you know, meeting new friends with babies and connecting with your friends that already have children or going out with your friends with the pram. And I had it all sort of in my head. But the reality was I didn't have time to do that. I wasn't emotionally strong enough to do it. And the times that I did do it, the anxiety wrapped up in checking that your friends weren't ill or hadn't been ill, hadn't been in contact with someone that had been ill. 
you know, we've had so many readmissions with Wilf because a cold for Wilf isn't just a cold. It can mean one to however many nights in hospital. So you don't have that maternity leave experience. And it's really challenging because it's another thing as a prem mum that you grieve. Wilf is a happy, healthy, big boy. He's huge now. My small knowledge of prem babies was always like that they maybe would have growth issues. When I saw Wilf, um, he was probably maybe a year. I mean, he was a tank. How is he now? Has there been any further complications? We'll never know if this was prem related or not, but he had a blockage in his airway and it was an obstruction of about 35%, I think. But it just went undiagnosed for a long time and he sounded awful. He was small when we left hospital. He was a small baby. But the breathing issues and the feeding issues started almost like a couple of weeks after we'd left. He needed to go on a specialist formula, which we finally got. We thought that might help with his breathing. I got seen by the Royal London, by the most incredible consultant who basically said, you were right, you need to start trusting your instincts. And I think that's something that prem mums, it can be a bit cloudy because you've had a specialist team looking after your baby for so long and then all of a sudden you're in charge of the baby and you think, I know something's not right here, but I haven't Mm -hmm. now got my team of four nurses that are looking after him 24 hours a day. You need to take charge of that. And it was a really long journey of getting him seen and, and done, but he's finally been signed off. And I really do think he's probably the best he's ever been. How is the best way for a friend to help Are there some absolute clangers like do not say to a prem mum? And it's really hard because I think there were so many times when I wanted my friends there, but I didn't necessarily want to talk about it. Mm. So actually, sometimes I actually really just craved a normal conversation. I've literally known my best friend since I was born and she was brilliant because she would ring and say, you can tell me how things are, but I'm just checking in. So it just created a space for me to either uh, cry, talk about the reality that was going on, or I could just say, oh, do you know what? I've just ordered a new dress and a pair of shoes. Yeah. You know, I reacted in one way. Another prem mum could react in a completely different way. But the clangers, oh my God, don't say, or at least you can sleep through the night. You know, I think people used to say about the fact that you were leaving your baby, they'd be like, they're in such good care, aren't they? And, you know, at least you can go home and rest and, you know, you can just have that time out. And I'd be like, do you have any idea how Mm -mm. hard this is mentally to do, to walk out of a unit and say goodbye and leave the baby with people? Mm. You know, some of the nurses you'd leave and you'd never seen them before if they'd done like the complete opposite shifts or whatever, or they come from a different unit, that's not normal. I also remember (laughs) someone saying, I bet you don't have stretch marks. I would buy stretch marks. I would actually pay for them to to have even given my stomach the opportunity to get that big. And it wasn't. Oh, there's so, so many things. And then never comment on the size. Wilf was really really tiny and I remember having a meltdown in Esther's actually because someone who was trying to be really lovely looked in the pram oh my god 
Oh. <laughs> my mum was a bit like, you just go outside. I'm going to manage this situation. It's a really difficult time. I think the biggest thing to say is I am here to support you. And you can say whatever you want to say and I'm not going to judge anything. And it's about creating a really, really safe space. Mm. And, you know, regardless of, oh, gosh, I, you know, I can totally imagine how hard that is. I guarantee you cannot imagine how hard that is. If you haven't seen or heard one of those units, you don't know. You have absolutely no idea how hard it is. Did you ever access any support therapies, connect with other Prem mums? I got offered therapy when Wilf was in intensive care and I took it and I really knew that I needed it. I'd look down at my stomach and I'd hate myself because why couldn't I carry this baby to full term? I had no answers about, oh, you know, the placenta failing or this happening, which would sort of give a steer on it. And the therapy helped me massively. And I think in terms of the post-therapy, I did EMDR, which is where you do the eye movement therapy, and it's brilliant for PTSD. And that changed my life completely. I know I had a little breakdown at the beginning of this, but I could not have spoken through what happened without that therapy. It really helps you process trauma. I actually didn't want to chat to anyone in terms of friends or other mums. I didn't. It made it more real. I think mm. now, Wilf's two and a half, I find it easier to interact with. I mean, like, there's some brilliant Instagram pages out there that I I wish I'd actually seen in hospital because I think if I, even if I didn't want to interact with them to see that it was normal and actually it does happen to other people. I think the biggest thing is actually having the confidence to talk to your friends and I really wish I'd had more confidence. Mm. Thank you so much to KJ and Sarah for helping us on this special episode of Is It Normal, the pregnancy podcast about premature births, preterm babies. It's been incredibly eye-opening to me. I had no idea about what goes on in those rooms and on that floor and for those mothers and fathers. I'm sending my love to you all. I hope you're all okay. I hope this has helped you a little bit and take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com